Well, good morning, Cross Life. Oh, you can do so much better than that. Good morning, Cross Life. All right, well, we're so glad that you're here today, and I am so thrilled and excited to be here today. I'm just an honor to be here, and I bring you greetings all the way from 12 miles down the road from the East Campus, all right? So, so we're glad to be here, and I'm honored today that, that uh, Pastor Mercer has allowed me to come and to open God's Word with you today. I'm so excited about that. Today we're going to actually close out our series, When You Have Something More. And so one thing about this series that I have personally enjoyed on, on a couple of levels is I've enjoyed this series because there's many of us in the room today that would say we have something more. Amen. Okay, you're not convinced, but that's okay. There's some, most of us in the room would say that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that we know that we have something more. And the reason I've loved this series is because it has reminded us and it has challenged us that if we truly say we follow Christ, there's some things that should be evident in how we live our lives, right? That if I say I follow him, how does that flesh out as far as how I live my life. We all know people who say they follow Christ and it's not evident in how they live and they're making zero impact for the kingdom. And so the series has been really good because it's reminded us that if we say we have something more, if we say Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, it should be evident in how we live our lives. But another reason I've loved this series is because of what we talked about last week, that we have something that a lost world does not have. Do you know what that is? Oh, somebody said it. Say it louder. Hope. Everybody say that with me. Hope. We have something people that don't know Christ do not have. We have hope. Here's what I mean. That one day, this, ba- this Jesus who was a baby in a manger, who grew up to live a sinless, perfect life, who taught the principles and the precepts of God, who eventually went to a cross, died on a cross, went to a borrowed tomb, and three days later rose again, and then he appeared to the disciples, and then he gave this great commission, and then he went off into heaven, he ascended up, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf. That same Jesus, one day, is coming again. Amen? He's coming again. And that's what? He's coming for his church. If you're a follower of Christ, he's coming for you. And I don't know about you, but as I think about that, as I think about the Lord's return, there's something about that that should fire us up. There's something about that that should I get excited. I mean, think about it. There's going to come a day when I'm going to see Jesus face to face. There's going to come a day when I get to touch him and I get to say I love him and embrace him. And, and, and then I get to spend forever and ever and ever in his presence. Isn't that going to be a great moment for those of us who love him and know him? It is, yes. And so this series has been great. I mean, I have so enjoyed preaching through at the East Campus. But there's one more question I think we need to ask today. And it's this. If we're waiting on the Lord's return, if that's what we're excited about, how do we live in the meantime, right? How do we live right now? Are are we as believers supposed to just sit on our hands or go out to some field and lay in our backs and just say, come Lord Jesus, come? I mean, is that how we're supposed to do things? No. But if we're excited about the Lord's return, the question today is, how do we live in the meantime? How do we live in light of the Lord's return. How am I to live right now until Jesus comes again? And I think that is the very heartbeat of what the Apostle Paul is driving at in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles or your smart, your iPhone or your, your iPad, or you can just take your neighbors and just tell them you're sorry, whatever you need to find, find a device, find a Bible, and look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
is where we're going to be this morning. And as we look there, there are three primary challenges that I want us to look at. Three challenges that I want us to glean from the passage. Here's the first one. That we need to live with urgency. That if, we're, if, if Jesus is coming again one day, and we're excited about that, how do we live in the meantime, number one? We need to live with urgency. I remember... Um, when my oldest son was born, he was a C-section, so my wife, who's not here this morning, she doesn't remember anything, but I do. And, and I remember um, that when he was born, I was holding him, and all these people were taking Polaroid pictures. Anybody remember the Polaroid camera? There's a few godly people in the room. Great. Okay, so, so I, I remember the Polaroid, and I would take those. And by, back then, I was a youth pastor, and so I did the great thing, because my son was born on December 31st at 11.52 p.m. That's when he was born. Which, if you're a parent in the room, you're like, that's a great tax deduction, right? And it was. It was. And so I remember taking those Polaroid pictures because I had planned to lock in as a youth pastor. And I went to there, and I, and I started sharing all these pictures. And you know what? Let's just be honest. Middle school kids don't give a flip about your pictures with your baby. They just don't care. But it didn't matter to me. I mean, they could be like, you know what? But he's kind of blue, Doug. His face is kind of scrunched up. And he just not that, you know, I didn't care. You're going to look at my baby. Why? Because I was so excited, Right? I was so urgent to get him that. Here's the thing. If Jesus has really changed your life, if, he, if you've moved from death to life and from darkness to light, if you were once lost and now you're found, and you were once blind but now you see, shouldn't we have the same urgency to share that with people too? Shouldn't that be more urgent than me taking my picture of my, me and my son? And show, I mean, shouldn't I be more urgent about sharing a message that can change someone's eternity more so than sharing a picture of my new son? It's true for all of us. And so Paul's going to advocate this idea of living urgent. And notice with me in verse 1 through 6 what he says. He says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day will not surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Now, there's two phrases here that imply urgency. I know you look at that and you go, I don't really see that, but here are the two phrases. Number one, keep awake. Now, what Paul's not saying is, hey, don't fall asleep. That's not what he's saying. Keep awake means to be alert to be ready, to be watchful. He says, listen, I know Jesus is coming again one day, but how we live the life right now is with urgency. How do we live with urgency? We're on the watch. We're on the lookout. We're alert. We are ready. That's why Scripture says be ready in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope that you have. Ready. He says, then I want you to be sober. And to be sober just doesn't mean not to be drunk. Literally what it translates in the Greek is to be collected in spirit. It means to have a right focus and the right priorities. That's what it means. To be sober means to have the right focus and the right priorities. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here's a question. What is the primary priority of any believer? Think about that. What is the primary priority of every believer? It's this, to share the gospel, period. 
is to live out the Great Commission. Jesus stood there and said, as you are going, go and make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them. No, I'm, I mean, he just said, listen, there's got to be something in every believer that as you go, man, you're sharing the greatest priority there is, and that's the priority of the gospel. See, listen, for us, as ur- for us urgency is this idea of being ready and this idea of keeping the right priorities, and the right priority is to share the good news of Christ. Listen, if he's changed you, don't you want somebody else to know that? If he's saved you and radically changed your life, don't you want somebody else to know that? And don't you want somebody else to experience that? Listen to me. If your answer is not yes, there is a spiritual problem that's going on inside of us as a believer. Because listen, if it's God's will that no man would perish, shouldn't that be our heart too? Amen? should be our heart. He says, so be sober, keep awake. And then he tells us why we need to be urgent. And I'm not going to go back and read, you can later, but in verse 2 and 3, he says this. Here's why we're to be urgent, because there's the day of the Lord that's coming. The day of the Lord's coming. Now, listen to me. Jesus is going to come. He's already come once, and the first time he came, he came as a Savior, seeking to save that which was lost. But the second time Jesus comes, in the second coming, he's not coming to seek and save that which is lost. He's coming as a righteous judge. He's coming to settle the score. He's coming to end all things. When he comes a second time, it's all over at that point. And he says, for those who don't know Christ, when Jesus comes again, it's like a thief in the night. Meaning it's going to come unexpected. In fact, he says, they're going to be saying stuff like peace and safety and security. But when Jesus comes, they're going to have no idea he's coming. And, and, when he comes, he's bringing destruction. Now, the word destruction here in the original language doesn't mean annihilation, like God's going to just blow them up, take them out. It means an eternal separation is going to happen. Now, just think about that with me for a moment. People who don't know Jesus, when he comes a second time, they're going to know he's coming. They're going to think life is great. They're going to think all is well. And then he's going to appear, and he's going to come. And when he comes, like a thief in the night, he's going to have this moment where they're going to be judged. They're going to stand at the white throne judgment, and there's going to be an eternal separation. And here's the worst part, Paul says. And there is not an escape. Do you know what that means? There are no second chances. When he comes again, there's not one of those moments of, uh uh-oh, you know, I was telling East Campus a while ago, I believe this with all my heart. I believe there are no unbelievers in hell. I believe they just believe too late. Right? Right? I believe, I believe they just believe too late. There are people who have passed from this life to the next that when they pass from eternity, they realize they were wrong. That there is a king, there is a savior, and they missed it. There are going to be people when he comes again that don't know Christ. It's going to be like a thief in the night. They're going to have this eternal separation happen, and there is no second chance. That's why he's telling the church, live urgent. Live with urgency, because that time's coming. And then Paul understands us. He knows that sometimes it's easy to get distracted in life. And so he says this, verse 8 through 10. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. There's that word again. Have putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet of hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but have obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. In other words, listen, I know that this is what I want you. I want you to live urgent. Be on watch. Be alert. Be ready, 
Be sober. Live out the right priorities. Share the gospel. Why? Because there's a day coming where people aren't going to get a second chance. And we need to spend every moment of every day that we have sharing that good news. But I know many of you are going to get distracted. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure you keep putting on that breastplate of faith and love. Now, for a Roman soldier, what did the breastplate guard? Not a trick question. What did it guard? Come on, talk to me. What did it guard? It's heart. The most vital organ that they had. It's as if Paul is saying, I want you to guard your heart. In fact, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, said it in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In our heart is where faith happens. In our heart is where conviction happens. And in our heart is where urgency happens. He says, listen, I know you're getting distracted, but you got to put this breastplate on, and you better guard this heart. And if you guard your heart, you're more likely to be sensitive and tender to sharing the faith. And then he says, I want you to put a helmet of salvation on. Now, what does the helmet guard? Not a trick question. What does the helmet guard? Our mind. Right, it guards our mind. Now, what Paul's saying is, I don't want you to buy into the philosophies and the ideologies of the world. I want you to keep your mind pure. That's why he says in Romans 12, no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but, renew, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. Paul says, listen, I want you to guard your heart, and I want you to guard your mind so that you stay tender and stay focused on the priority of our lives. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. That's it. Live with urgency. Let me give you a second challenge I see in the passage. And it's this, to live to build one another up. Live to build one another up. Look with me in verse 11. It says this, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now listen, here's what I find interesting in the passage. Paul starts with this challenge about living with urgency so we can get the gospel out to those who don't know Christ. So when that day of the Lord comes, they're not sitting there and, and, and not going not to suffer the hardship of what's going to happen, but they will know Christ. I mean, so we got to live urgently. But then all of a sudden, Paul shifts gears and talks about kind of inside the church, kind of inside the body of Christ. So on one hand, it's like, hey, let's live urgent. Let's go, let's go reach people with the gospel. Yeah, let's go. And he goes, but as it comes to those of you inside the body of Christ, here's what I want you to do. Within the church, here's what I want you to do. Build one another up. In fact, there's two categories of people that Paul tells us to build up. Look with me in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among your brothers. Now, here's the first group he says that we are to build up. Those who labor with us and those who labor over us. Let me tell you who those are real quick. The labor with us are the people like maybe you work in Awanas. You serve in Awanas as an example. Maybe it's people who labor with you. He says, I want you to build those people up. People who are serving and they're laboring with you in the gospel, build them up. And then he says, I want you to build up those who labor over you. Well, who are those people? Maybe it's your small group leader. Maybe it's the deacons. Can I tell you something else? It's the staff. I said this in the first service, and I want to say it again, and nobody paid me to say this at all. But when I was interviewing to come here, one of the things that God really endeared my heart to is how much this staff on this church loves each other, but more importantly, how much this staff at this church loves you. Did you know that? Did you know they love you? Amen or oh me? Did you really know that? And when I came and saw that, I thought, man, I want to be part of that because these people love their congregation. 
So what do we need to do in response? Build them up. And then Paul says, here's another group we need to build up, those who are down and out. Now here's what I want you to do, all right? I want you just to look around. Don't look at me, just look at somebody else right now. Look around, and I want you to notice a couple things in the room. Just look at your neighbor there. Just kind of take it, just kind of take it, eye, look at them. Look across the room. What do you see? Well, be careful with what you say, by the way. What do you see? There's two things you see. I'll help you, all right? Number one, everybody looks good today, amen? Okay, some of you are like, nope, not the person I looked at, right? <laughs> nope. Now, if you're the one saying amen, nobody else said around you, it might be you, you might be that person. Second of all, everybody looks like everything's okay. Here's what I know. Only one of those are true, and that's that everybody looks good. The second one is not true. Not everybody's okay. Now, we may appear to be okay. We may have this face on that we're okay. We may look like we have it all together, but I know as sure as I'm standing here, there are people in this room today that their lives are falling apart. Their marriages are falling apart. Their finances are in the tank, and they are struggling today. They may put on a face that's all okay, but it's not. That's why Paul says you need to be within the church building one another up because there are people who are down and out, and they need it. And then he tells us who those people are. He says this, first, one, first thing, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Verse 15, see that no one repays an evil for an evil, but always seek to do good to, the one, to one another and to everyone. He says this, listen, first of all, admonish, admonish the idle. The word admonish means to warn, and idle means apathy. I want you to warn those that are apathetic. In other words, if you know what that means, it means those that don't care. Now here's what Paul's trying to say. There are those in the church, now hear me today, there are those in the church who have lost their passion, they've lost their joy, and they are struggling, and they are just going through the motions. And as a body of Christ, we need to go to those people and warn them of their apathy. Now, are we warning them that God's going to take them out? No, it's not what he means. He's talking about warning them about the lack of impact they're having for the kingdom. Now, I just want to say this with a lot of love today. And I know you don't know me, but I mean this with all the love in my heart. There's some of you today that you've checked out spiritually. You've lost your joy, you've lost your passion, and you're going through the motions. And here's the most loving thing I can say to you today. You're having zero impact on the kingdom of God. How in the world can we be apathetic when he sent his son who died for us and loved us? The Bible says in Romans 5 eight that God showed me he loved me, that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Did Jesus ever have apathy? Did Jesus ever have apathy? 